0: Welcome to My Hard Drive Died, episode number twenty-eight, a show about hard drives, data recovery, forensics, and more. I'm Jeff Halish. I'm here with Scott Moulton from MyHardDriveDied.com. How you doing, Scott?
1: Doing great. How Good. are you guys?
0: I'm I'm doing excellent. Uh, it's you know it's summertime, nice weather outside, so it's uh, it's relaxing when I can sit out on my porch and have a cool breeze blow by and drink a cup of coffee in the morning <laughs> versus <Awesome. Yep. laughs> sitting in my office, you know where it's just kind of four walls and a bunch of computers and it gets really hot in here
1: <laughs> well i have the same problem and uh, and i have no windows in this i mean it's my structure is steel all the way around to try to kind of protect everything so you know nobody can easily break in or do anything so my building when we built it is solid steel all the way around solid steel doors like everything so we don't get a breeze we don't get you know light we don't get anything in here so uh, but it's well protected your data is safe <laughs>
0: Well, that's, that's good. So now does the metal help with like, uh, you know, wireless, uh, you know, trans- I mean, obviously you probably don't have anything wireless in there that you're you're dealing with.
1: Well, it, it doesn't help, but uh, understand it's kind of like building a Faraday cage. So when we have phones and stuff that we have to do that somebody might have sent or somebody potentially has sent a wipe command to. Uh, basically, all we have to do is shut down our repeater because we have an indoor repeater because we get no cell signal inside the building, and so what we have is a hole that goes through the top of the building to a to an antenna, and then we have an internal repeater inside the building. And when we cut power to that, we won't get a signal at all. And so whenever we have a, a you know a potential issue where we need to work on cell phones that or iPads or things like that, where they may have sent a wipe command to we can just, cause you know, some of them you can't remove the SIM card. You have to boot them to put them in airplane mode. So, so there are some of those types of issues from that standpoint. And so at least it helps to have our own kind of building. That's a Faraday cage.
0: That that's a great idea. It's yeah, not something you would think about because a lot of these things do have, you know, the wireless phone stuff. So they can obviously there's signal all the time once that device is turned on.
1: Well, yeah, but uh, so we—I mean—we can easily shut down our internal wireless, so that's no problem either. And we do have, you know, we do use internally things like pineapples and stuff like that, so that we don't have to actually log into a machine to get um, to get a, a connection. I don't know if you know uh, pineapple, like Hack 5s pineapple, right? Uh, that, where they basically any signal that's sent to them from. A wireless service, it just says, Yes, I am that service. So if you say, I want to connect to ATT, you don't have to actually connect and put in a password, it just automatically connects. And so we do that for convenience because we have so many other machines that come in all the time. We don't even have to bother um, trying to log into the machine or trying to get on Wi-Fi or trying to see what we can do. And in some cases, if we're actually working on something, it'll just automatically connect to our Wi-Fi no matter what it is. And uh, so, so you know, obviously when we have a situation like this where we have to deal with a Faraday cage or forensics or something like that, we just shut all that stuff down uh, and then keep it off all, all offline. And then we have no signal at all in this metal building
0: that that's great. <laughs> and uh, does that uh, you, you know double as a uh, bomb shelter too, or
1: no? But we might survive the tornado. But okay. that's as good as it gets. Uh, there's no no bomb shelter surviving here. I'm pretty sure none of us are going to survive the next bomb. So when Iran decides to send the nuclear missile over, I'm pretty sure we're we're going to be done for. So. Yeah,
0: right pra- pra- Yeah, you're probably right. So, oh wow, yeah. Interesting times, that's for sure. I mean, I don't know. Do, been, do you
1: use things like Hack 5's pineapple or any no, of the I, equipment and stuff they make? Or?
0: I I haven't. You know, and it's it's really because I just don't have the time. But you know, a pineapple is basically uh, for all intents and purposes kind of like a man in the middle, right?
1: Yes. Okay.
0: And it's just catching that signal and saying, "Hey, yeah, I am who you think you're talking to when yes. you're trying to make that connection." So yeah, that. I understand uh, that, you know, kind of how it works and, you know, how it can benefit you in different situations. Right. You know,
1: and and there's a lot of modules and things you can turn on and use and things like that as well. So there's there are like additional things that you can do with it. But, you know, fundamentally for us, one of the kind of coolest things, I guess, is that with the breadth of equipment that's coming in for us to work on. Um, you know, most other people I've seen them do it in the shops all the time. Like they got to start up the machine, they got to log in, then they got to connect to the Wi-Fi. You know, they have got to do something to get on. Like we don't have to do any of that at all. We're just immediately like working on the device. It is just completely passive to us, so we're not even, you know, g- getting any extra energy. Plus, we're not including. You know, that's the other thing that happens when you connect to a Wi-Fi. If you're connecting to my hard drive dies Wi-Fi or something like that, and we're doing a forensics case, and the person doesn't know that we're doing it on this particular computer next time they look in the list unless we clear it out it's going to say what wi-fi is it connected to and so it'll put it in registry it'll put it in the computer like it'll put it in a number of places so it this also helps us keep uh limiting the extraneous information that gets added to the machine or added to the phone or added to the equipment because it will at least show oh at okay fine i connected it to at well good luck telling me which at&t that is <laughs> So, I mean, you can. There is still a MAC address. There's still other stuff, but it it, it's much more esoteric. It's gonna be harder to find and do. So, you know, we do play with a bunch of these different things. And because we're doing forensics, we're always looking for these things rather than just doing the data recovery or the computer. You know, because we don't really do computer repair here per se. We did years ago. uh, I had another company that we sold. Okay. uh, That we did um, corporate IT services and stuff for. and I grew it to about three hundred corporate clients. And we sold that company in uh, 2008. Okay. So, uh, so I kind of just don't do that kind of stuff anymore.
0: Right. No, now you have no interest in doing that type of stuff or just, you know, yeah, just, zero, okay. actually zero. Like I feel like,
1: <laughs> you know, I did that for 18, 19 years, managed it services, managed 14, 15, you know, whatever number of people. And then, uh, I got to a spot where I was like, if I have to pick up one more screw, and put it in this machine. <laughs> I'm just going to stab somebody in the eye with a screwdriver. <laughs> right. And, you know, and it, and it's constantly, I mean, because that's really all you're doing all day long is, you know, just even even managing the team and doing stuff, I was still the most knowledgeable of the team. So I was still, every time a problem couldn't be solved, I'm the guy I got pushed up to. And so, so yeah, so it, it's... I have absolutely zero interest in doing computer repair at this point. I'll do things and, and these skills really come in handy for doing all this stuff when I pop on someplace and there's a you know a forensics job that needs to be done, exchange server, I gotta get, you know, all the data. Like I know more than most of the IT staff does who are trying to manage and deal with these things or SQL Server. And so if if I'm called out on a forensics job, which, you know, in my opinion as time goes on and we have more and more complex things and and we have more and more items that are encrypted that eventually you know maybe five maybe six more years we're going to have kind of a death of spinning disks a death of ssds the way that we know them and eventually we're, we're going to be evolving into a situation where unless we got a back door or somebody's got a key we can't copy it we can't repair it even in a data recovery even if you want it back We can't get it back because the key gets destroyed or something happens in the process that we can't recover it. So, you know, encryption and everybody pushing for it is going to be at some point a certain death of your files because people aren't going to consider, I would like a recovery of my data. I just want to protect my data. And in the process of protecting your data, you're going to make sure that even in a recovery or loss, you can't get it back.
0: You know, and that's interesting because, you know, you think about how, you know, you have this whole disk encryption, which, you know, not a lot of people I don't think are using still right now. But, you know, a lot of people that are traveling with laptops and stuff like that, you know, should be using some sort of whole disk encryption probably in case they do lose their laptop. And the hard part is, okay, that's great, but we make up a password that's, you know, X amount of characters long. So, and the encryption is fine. But that's so that nobody can break into it. Even if they have it, you know, running on a hundred machines at you know a billion miles an hour, it would still take years to get that information back, and to uh, you know to to break that password. So.
1: Um, well, uh, well, this you're not breaking. I, I swear you're not going to break these passwords. I mean, it's like it's literally right. just not going to be plausible that you're going to break these passwords. Uh, it, the, so what's going to happen is, and this is always the way it works, because everybody who thinks we're brute forcing passwords and trying to break in and do stuff, they're all wrong because that's not the way it's going to work today. What? What's really going to happen is we just constantly look for loopholes or back backdoor things that are a problem. Some sort of you know a buffer overflow or some you mm. know problem in the algorithm or something, and that's what we're breaking. We're not breaking. We're not physically brute forcing. You know, uh, you know a five twelve. You know, it, 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 there's just no way. We're just right. not going to be going after trying to get you know AES two fifty six <laughs> and trying to spend ten thousand years trying to get that done. You know, and and as computing power increases, I'm sure people you know, it's plausible, it's potentially possible, but we're also getting more and more laws that are establishing that cracking passwords is illegal. Um, so that's our other problem, right? So,
0: yeah, that's, you know, and that's kind of, I mean, it's okay. We're going to say it's illegal, but you know, yet some people still need it cracked for legitimate purposes. It's like, there's always a legitimate case for what we do, right? Well,
1: and fundamentally it's about ownership, right? So if you own it and it's your password and you forgot it, then that's one thing, but you know, usually you're hiring a third party who needs to know this and then you're well hey how do we know it's yours how do we know it's not your husband's how do we know it's not and you know then there's a potential other problem which you've just convinced us to commit a, a felony and so cuz in the state of Georgia it's a felony it's a, a it's called password disclosure and if you crack a password and tell somebody what it is well that's password disclosure and that's a felony so uh, you know there is potentially some issues with regards to that Sure. But, um whereas, you know, normally in forensics we just bypass everything. So in other words, you know, if I can get to the file table, file system table, I don't need your password. I can just see all your files. And so it's not there's no security essentially. But you know, one thing I don't know yet is so, you know, new MacBooks, as you buy a new MacBook or a new Mac coming out and you have Yosemite on it, it comes with default encryption. Not not if you did an upgrade, but if you do because if you do an upgrade, you still got to do the encryption. But if you do the if you actually are buying a brand new one, it's already encrypted. It's already on. And so what happens in the future from here on out now, you know, if I get a call and I have to work on a, on a laptop that's on Yosemite, I'm dead. There's nothing I can do.
0: Now, if from a from a standpoint of a customer that actually owns that MacBook forgot their password and they can't get to their data, There's there's nothing you can do in that situation?
1: nope not right now there's a there is a zero day like an exploit for certain things depending on how it was set up and where the recovery key is and things like that but fundamentally no i mean if you if you can't do it i mean just kind of like what it is with iphones right now we're pretty stuck with iphones if uh if if you use a four digit you know the four number thing it is a way for us to crack it and figure it out uh there are some tools there's a little black box that runs through all the scenarios and things like that and that still would be a crime in georgia but the uh, you know if you use a complex password we can't bypass it at all right now we can't get to the to the content on the the only way we're going to get to it is if you trusted it on a computer and it stored the key on the computer then we can use the key from the computer to then get into the phone but that's as good as it gets we're not we're not going to get into a phone that we don't have the key for somewhere hmm. so iPhones
0: yeah yeah get you an iPhone if you want to commit a crime. Um <laughs> Yeah, good idea. And
1: put complex password on, and don't save your fingerprint.
0: (laughs) Not that I'm advocating that. I'm I'm just saying. Um, So what about like uh, you know things like TrueCrypt, where you know now I mean obviously TrueCrypt's no longer around, but there are forks of it going out. I mean, uh, what types of encryption are are coming down the pike that people are going to be using? Because to me, there's not. I don't know. Is there a whole lot of paid for? types of encryption you can get out there?
1: Well, well, there certainly are on the business side, but a lot of times they're bound to hardware. And so the biggest thing is the self-encrypting hard drives that are out now because they're gonna have basically a key and a seed capability on the hard drive itself. And then it's controlled by a piece of software. So you would use, you know, in a corporate arena, there are pieces of software that will uh, enable this process and then encrypt the partition, encrypt the data. And it actually can encrypt specific sectors as opposed to the entire drive. So there is things that are specific. So so there are components that are both tied to hardware and software, but I really think the real solution is really just hardware. It's got to already come there. It's got to already come enabled or it's got to already come, you know, because it's got to be passive to the user just like the new MacBooks or the new, the new Macs are uh, with Yosemite. It's completely passive, so when the user gets it, he doesn't know it's encrypted, so he just starts using it. He, she starts using it, and then uh you know they don't know that it's i mean they may know some people may oh yeah that's great but right you know a lot of them aren't turning it on if they didn't have it on so you know it'd take them 24 or 48 hours for it to finish encrypting the drive they can't use it during the process so a lot of them aren't going to turn it on if it's not already done so really i think it's just this combination of hardware and software that's bound together that's actually going to make this happen and really if it really just comes like if if at some point we get to like Windows 11 and Windows 11 says we're encrypting it you know out the box then then what then we, all that means you know because right now 93% of the systems are going to be uh, Windows system. So I'm not worried about it so much just because Macs do that now. It's, it is a problem because a lot of commercial end stuff is Macs, but it stopped me from doing iPhones as well. So, you know, sooner or later we catch up and either we find a bug or we find something we can exploit or eventually the job's going to
0: change. So I'm wondering, is there going to be a backlash from a customer base? I mean, yes, we want to be safe, but we also want convenience. In
1: well, So the backlash has to happen after the fact, so it's already too late, right? Right. So in other words, for this to happen, you're two years, three years down the road. You've already got it implemented. It's already done in all the equipment. They're using it as a good selling point, and it sounds great up front. Then you get it, and then now later on when your system, you know, like all these Macs with Yosemite on it. Like up until now, if there was a crash, we could almost always get most everything back, and because it automatically defragged the file system, pictures and things like that were intact. There was a lot of things that we could do on a Mac to get their stuff back. But now if Yosemite is enabled and now it's encrypted and we can't get the encryption as a package to unencrypt it, which that's the real problem is because it's like gotta be functional and you've gotta have enough of the drive functional in order for you to actually open the package for that to work and you're not gonna get anything. You're not gonna, you're not, there's no carving out pictures, there's no saving, like you lose it all. It's all or nothing. Oh, Yep, and that's the real problem is you know it, it, it's so it's not so much that the hardware and the SSDs and spinning disks are going to change data recovery it's things like that where you know all these mac people who think that Macs are you know cuz Macs have a super huge problem with HFS getting corrupt and so HFS can you know anything happens in the hierarchical file system because that's what HFS stands for if there's a sector or two sectors go bad or you know it just gets corrupt corrupt while it was writing a sector while you close your laptop um, it happens all the time, and Macs can't seem to repair their own. So now you have a situation where it's potentially possible that even just in a normal use scenario, that your encrypted files no longer are able to be recovered.
0: Uh, you know, I. speaking of… Uh, encryption. I had, you know, LastPass went through that uh, thing, you know, uh, I don't know, a month ago or, or whatever it was, a few weeks ago, where they were saying, you know, some data might have gotten, you know, purged from their system. They weren't sure, uh, you know, change your password. So, you know, I was going through and doing the, the diligent things that you're supposed to do in that situation. And I didn't even realize that, you know, in, as a tech, I should know this, but LastPass had dual authentication, which I did not have turned on at the time. So I turned that on. That was fine. Fixed all that up, but what I did in the process is I went to change my password, Now I use a, you know, it's over a 30-character password. It's just, you know, Um, so when I did that, even though I put it in a Word document so I could see what it was, I'm so used to typing passwords sometimes that my fingers just kind of did the walking. Well, they did the walking twice, and basically the password went in, and then I went to log out and double-check it, and I went to go back in. And apparently my fingers just kind of did the walking again. Well, I went to test it one more time and the password that I had written down on a Word document was wrong. And so I'm sitting there in panic mode now because I've just lost over 200 plus passwords in LastPass that, you know, I'm going to have to figure out the sites and I hadn't done a backup, you know of you know, that, the password file since like 2011. And so I, I was kind of, I was stuck. Fortunately, because of all the things that were happening, they had something that you could actually revert back to your old password in the browser um, from something that it was saving. And I was able to do that and get all that stuff back. And I'm like going, I am not messing with this password anymore. <laughs> I have dual, dual authentication on and it's over 30 characters. I'm not going to worry about it at this point. And then also, also I, I also, I proceeded to, at the same time I made, um, you can make one time password unlocks, you get like a sheet of them. I did that, put it in a, in a locked file system, you know? So I've got those, you know, again, it's nothing, it's more for convenience for myself. You know, if you got my password in this stuff, I, I, I could care less, whatever, you know, we'll go in and fix it or whatever. I mean, it's just a convenience for me. So, Right. But I can see that happening at the same time with, you know, whole drive encryption that's already coming and people don't know. And they go, hey, I don't have a backup and I um, I, I need my pictures back off of this. I, I'm sorry. There's nothing I can do.
1: Yeah. And that's the way it's going to be. There's going to be a lot of that yeah. eventually. <sighs> and so so the Mac world, I mean, as A lot of consumers, a lot of the regular, like I am just a home user, which is the majority of Mac space, right, are not going to care about encryption because they would rather have their files back. They would rather have the stability of being able to get that back if possible. And so this may be a move that does anger a lot of people eventually because you're going to be – they just released them, so it's just going to be you know, another year or two years down the road as SSDs are dying and things like that, and we're going to be in an encryption mode where it's going to be impossible to get it back. And at that point in time, yeah, they, they may revert, and they may say, oh, this is bad for all my people, and all these people are going to be blaming Apple and maybe even, who knows, you know, suing them. Who knows what they'll do at some point? But these are just consumers who have no understanding, whereas the people who want to use encryption – they know how to turn it on. They know how to do it. and it's been very easy in MacOS in the first place that literally was one button. You could literally just say, I would like to encrypt this drive, click, and then you just walk away until it's done. And if you do it when you first get the laptop, there's a lot less files on the system, so it takes a lot less time. So you know I think they're creating a scenario that could be dangerous or deadly for their end user base who now is going to lose all their pictures because it's it's it, we get a huge number in of Macs that are here for recovery mostly of photos and pictures okay and you're you're also talking about another scenario which I've discovered is becoming a bigger problem for people which is they don't really understand how the iCloud works when it's syncing between their devices and so one of the thing that we get we're getting more and more often now is people who were on a trip and they had an iphone and it was syncing with their ipad they thought that they had the pictures now on their ipad they delete them from the iphone pushes to the iCloud syncs it with the ipad and loses it so you know that's becoming a huge problem that they're not understanding and that's the same scenario with their with with their actual pc as well when they're when you know with their mac when they're when they're syncing, it syncs and pushes it to the Mac as well, and then there's a rotation which they'll save but and and move them out of the camera roll or move them out of the syncing pattern. But that initial one, they'll lose them, and that's where we've been able to recover a lot. So what's happened is they've had three devices. They've had an iPad, an iPhone, and a Mac. Then it pushed it. They thought they had it on the iPad. It's gone now because it, it syncs almost immediately by comparison when it's deleting those pictures or doing something. But then when it gets finally to the uh, PC, once it syncs and it loses them there, we can almost always recover them from the PC. So we can recover a majority of them because there's storage space and it's there and it's longer. So now we have, again, another scenario where encryption is going to end that routine. And, And this really is a huge problem that most people don't know about that that the syncing process, you know, if you look at your phone and it's, and it's hard even for people who know what they're doing and Apple's changed this once or twice because they got rid of the camera for a while. Then they added it back and they did an all picture thing. You didn't know where they were. You didn't know which folder they were in. So you didn't know which ones were the current ones and which ones are the temporary ones. There there's actually been quite a few scenarios where it was been confusing for consumers. And, okay. um, and that's a very difficult thing for them to understand once their picture has been, Synced that when they delete it off of one device, that it, and usually a bot will pop up and say, Yeah, I'm going to delete it off all your other devices, but for some reason they don't seem to understand. <laughs> so that means, Oh, my PC too. And so it's, I mean, it's incredibly efficient at what it's doing, but that's that is currently the problem. And that's terrific for the process of the guy who's cheating on his wife and he has a picture of his girlfriend naked and he wants to delete that picture because it does hunt down all the devices, but you know, that's a terrible one for I'm on a vacation and I, you know, deleted my pictures because I don't have enough space on my phone and thinking that it pushed, and that's usually what happens. They don't have enough space on their phone And, and they don't know the difference between storage space in the iCloud and storage space on their phone either. This is the other weird thing that they'll, you know, a box will pop up and say, you're out of storage space. You need to upgrade and pay $5 more for, you know, the next biggest size up or whatever. They don't understand that's not on their phone. Uh, you know to us it's clear what disk space is and what local space is but to these people they are constantly confused by the space between their phone and that and when they run out of space i've seen them do it two or three times that they run out of space locally on the phone so they can't take a picture it pops up the box and says you need to buy more storage space on icloud and then they keep buying it on icloud thinking that that's solving the problem for their local phone
0: oh yes that would be confusing okay Wow. Yep. Well, you know, and from that standpoint too, you know, I, so, I, you know, again, you know, after talking to you and, and basically, you know, it, it seems to me your mantra is all hard drives suck. And so, I, you know, I, I'm constantly saying that, but when, so I, I have like, when it comes to pictures and stuff on my phone, I have, you know, dual backups. I let Google back it up. I let uh, Dropbox does an automatic backup. And so part of my problem is even though I don't really have to get rid of space, cause I've got plenty of space on the phone to take, you know, Thousands and thousands of pictures. It's no big deal. But I still like to clean it up every once in a while because I don't want all that stuff on my phone all the time. I don't need every picture I've ever taken on my phone, right? So right. a lot of times I'll, I'll try to get rid of it out of you know Google and it, it will tell you, hey, it's getting rid of all the pictures. Well, the problem is, in my case, no, it's not because it's also on Dropbox. So whatever I've left in Dropbox is still going to propagate and back right. up to Google again. So I, I, I have the kind of the reverse problem of what other people do because I, I overdo all my different backups. <laughs>
1: right. Yep. And, and, you know, but that is at least a good thing is that whatever did happen, happened on Dropbox. And, and so therefore it's not going to be chased down easily by iCloud by doing the same deletion process either. So you do at least have a unique backup. That's not going to remove that. Um, but you know, you have this, This other thing that happens that people always forget about too, which is when they start traveling or they go out of the area where they have unlimited traffic or whatever else, that every time they take a picture, then it's pushing the Dropbox automatically from their phone because they enabled the button. So a lot of times when you travel, the one thing they forget to do is turn off their picture syncing, and then it eats up all their bandwidth right away wherever they're at. Yep. That's and because I go to other countries, and that's been a huge problem that I have to remember before I go to other countries, and what they really need is one master switch that says, you know, I'm going to another country, turn off all the features that sync on my phone and Because I have to go chase them all. I have to go, well, I have to go change on my mail settings to, you know, for each account to not pull. I have to change my iCloud syncing. Um, I've had some weird scenarios lately that I, I haven't had enough time to completely figure out where even when you don't put the Safari bookmarks in the list to sync, that they still sync amongst other computers. So I'm having Safari bookmarks that are showing up on computers they shouldn't show up on even when iCloud's not enabled to sync them. So Oh interesting. I you know, and, and so I've I've eventually figured out it has something to do with iCloud. So and the reason I figured this out was I just logged out of all the iCloud accounts and then figured out who was syncing with who. But even when on your phone, let's say you save a bookmark and there's an iCloud button that says sync this, you know, sync my safari icon. And same thing on the Mac and the PC, there's a sync my Safari icon um item, it still was syncing even when that was off. And so bookmarks that you don't necessarily want on all the other computers show up. Oh man. So so I've had a few just weird scenarios like that that just either are bugs or don't make sense. And it does take a long time for Apple to like there's been a constant bug that until just this last one or two patches they didn't fix, which was with uh Siri, uh if you were if you push a little button so you could have the microphone and you could talk to your messages that when you're done and you if you hit send instead of done, it would leave the volume thing so that it would still enable you to talk to it, but it wouldn't type anything in your box. And so it would not cancel that, but they finally fixed that so that now when you hit send, it cancels and closes the audio for, you, for your microphone. But it took like uh, six months for them to fix this weird bug from that standpoint.
0: So so you think from consumer grade encryption that maybe that there's going to be some I don't know, poorly written encryption that people will be able to uh, you know, someone like yourself will be able to find a workaround or, or get around it. Well,
1: um, there certainly are already. There are already some of them out there. Um, like, for instance, the Western Digital Passport drives have gone through several stages uh, over the last five or six years. And some of the earlier stuff had been cracked or we figured out alternations about it. And they said, oh, everyone has a unique key. But then it turned out that there was only like seven unique keys. <laughs> you know, Stuff like that has happened. And so, you know, by swapping boards, we were able to get around it when a board would die. But... It, it, you know they fixed a lot of those things right now. And right now, like for instance, the, there's because so, Western Digital passport drives have two le- two levels of encryption. So they have the hardware level, which we can now bypass. We can now bypass the hardware level encryption, which means it's tied to the board and tied to the. The, on the system area, on the platter, that there's actually a key. And so right now, the newest PC3000 can get around the hardware level encryption, but we can't get around the software level. And that's the piece that sits on top of it. That's that, you know, the passport software that allows you to enter in a password and then encrypt the content on the drive. Well, right now, if you don't have the key or you don't have the password, there's no way to get around it unless, you know, Supposedly, Western Digital has a backdoor. Supposedly, there <laughs> okay. is a backdoor, and that federal people, you know, it's kind of like a key escrow routine. Like, if you want to have a drive and sell it in this country, then you must comply with you know any federal re- regulation that we set or whatever, and you must have a key that allows us under you know FBI regulation. And you know this because th- this has been in the news all over the place because that's why they're so off at Apple right now, is that Apple isn't complying but that's why they're not soft at all the other vendors because they normally somebody com- complies and there is a back door there is some key escrow where there's like a master key and they can get in and so we've heard this a couple of times and every once in a while somebody figures it out and you know solves the problem temporarily till somebody changes it or fixes it but it, you know it's it, it's a consumer problem though it's might you know on the level of FBI slash, you know, government, they can get what they want or in criminal cases are getting things in some cases that we would not as a civilian be able to subpoena or get.
0: Okay. So, again, the, consu- the, uh, the consumer that just wants their pictures back from their, you know, kids being born, weddings and all that kind of stuff, there might come a point where they just basically can't get it back anymore. And, yeah, they're screwed. Yeah, yeah, that's that sucks. Yep. Yeah.
1: No, and 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 you know, and that's kind of the other methodology too. People are a lot more comfortable these days with thinking that um, you know this cloud storage and the content that we have is safe and that it's theirs. They they think it's theirs. Right. It's 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 not theirs. You have an account somewhere or something, but it's not yours. And when you are using that. Remember, your stuff is someplace else, and that means somebody else can see your stuff. Right. And that stuff is making its way all over the place. So there are huge problems with what happens when company goes out of business, what happens when, you know, because when they're, when they're up on the chop block and they're bankrupt, they're literally selling all their assets, and sometimes the asset is your pictures.
0: Hmm. Okay.
1: I mean, they do it already with customer databases, right? So they, right. that's already happened several times that when... You know, same thing like Radio Shack, that was a big thing with Radio Shack going bankrupt is that, you know, selling their customer database maybe be their valuable product. Right. So so somebody's recouping some money somewhere, but that happened with Clear. There used to be a company that used to be at the airport that was called Clear or Clear Entry or something like that. And you used to be able to, you know, prior to this global entry thing that we have now where you could get into the country fairly quickly, when they went bankrupt, they sold their customer database. And that was specifically for things for people who had clearance for passports. Oh so, my! Yeah. So wow. I, I, you know, off the top of my head, um, but it, it's strange that their name was clear or clear entry or something like that. But
0: because <laughs> um, you are in the clear, that's for sure. <laughs> now. Yeah, uh. I, I,
1: I. You know, I can't remember exactly what it is. I'm sure somebody will will email us in and tell us or whatever but it was but it was just strange that again that was their their name was clear or something like that and they sold their database before all this other stuff happened
0: now is it kind of is it kind of weird or is it just me that it's actually easier to to bypass hardware encryption versus software encryption
1: well uh, no I, i don't think that that's true but because it's a more stable platform you might have Uh, less variations i mean but it's it's not really technically true i guess from that standpoint but (laughs) um you know but when there is something that's in hardware it's a lot easier to say that this is static and this isn't going to change and if we find something then it applies as opposed to some software things that might change or upgrade or make changes over time or you know software has a little bit more flexibility whereas hardware is you know this is all you can buy or this is all you can get but uh, you know i'm I, I wouldn't say i wouldn't say it's necessarily easier from that standpoint on a on a hard drive that's encrypted like a like a passport drive so on the platters there's an area called the system area and that has all the tables that's basically like the little mini operating system that the drive boots up and uses and so what you have is a combination of two things you have hardware encryption which is a chip that has an encryption Uh, slash key slash algorithm in this chip and then the key sitting in the system area on the platters. So if you were to copy the data, the user data off the drive, that user data has to be combined with that chip and then the key from the system area. And those Ah. two things make it work. So the key from the system area without that key, you could take your data and you could put it on another drive and you could see data you just can't see your data, it's gonna be encrypted. So that's why in data recovery, we can't just recover the user, like because we can copy the drive, we can still clone the drive, but what we're cloning is the encrypted data. And so without the key, it won't pass through the controller and decrypt itself on the fly. And so when we move it to another drive, the data's still there, and maybe we have the same. Maybe if we're lucky enough, we'll have the same encryption key on another drive. But we need the system area, so we need this one thing that's normally inaccessible to us—that is this key. Okay. And, and you can't copy that key with other tools or anything. There's, it's a firmware situation, so you can deal with it with a PC three thousand, but you can't deal with it with almost anything else
0: currently. Okay. Gotcha. Wow. Oh, interesting times, man. I'm telling you, I you know, I, I mean, I'm all for keeping things safe, but at the same time, I'm also for convenience. I, I look at it like this, anything that I put on my phone digitally in the cloud on my computer, I just feel that anybody at any time can look at that information. So I try not to put anything incriminating on there. So.
1: Yeah. Right. No, I, Or you just have to not care that anybody can see that. Like, uh, you know, th- does it matter if anybody can see like if you take a naked picture of yourself does it really matter as a guy that somebody can see a naked picture of you? Probably not as much as it does for a girl. I would be much more upset to have my bank account information out there or something right. than I would for my for a naked picture from that standpoint. But you know, from a from a female's perspective, you know, neither one of those are going to be good. So
0: yeah, I, I, I'd say I think the worst thing you would ever see from me is maybe a, a breakdancing picture from the '80s or something like that. You <laughs> about it? Um, but yeah, all right. Well, let's let's move into a uh, yeah. Encryption is is a long and um, it's going to be an interesting next few years. I, I think. Um, let's. Uh, I we've got one email and one voicemail, and we can kind of go into that. This uh, email is uh, from Lyle Lastinger, and this is a follow-up email to the email he sent last time, and it says, uh, thanks for answering my question. After listening, my question wasn't so clear. I used Clonezilla to image my Win 8 notebook, and it wouldn't boot on restore. This is the sad part. No matter how many ways, disk, advanced options I tried, I tried everything for hours and hours, but, Ugh. <laughs> I hate to admit what I did wrong. I forgot to set the BIOS back to UEFI. Mm, Thanks, uh, Lyle. Secu- right.
1: So we had uh, Secure Boot enabled, probably. Uh, so there's an item for in you know, a lot of new laptops and stuff for Secure Boot, which you know means that the the boot sequence and the item has to be certified for it to boot, basically in this process. And a lot of times when you clone over or you do something, that those things are are and that's probably what it was, so it was probably UEFI, standard, like, regular mode, or, you know, secure boot was probably the other option that was in the list. If not, then it was, you know, one of the controller options that would be, um, you know, for the type of connector on the hard drive and things like that. So, but secure boot, um, you know, at least from that standpoint going forward, there's been a lot of newer laptops and things that have secure boot enabled, and they've been causing problems for trying to get a third-party disk booted when you have a windows system or you have a you know i guess it was kind of a cool mode on their part that it kind of sounded like well microsoft kind of you know makes it difficult for you to run linux or do other stuff you can turn it off and sometimes it works but i've had situations where when i turn secure boot off that i've still had a lot of difficulty getting a linux disk or an external disk to boot and so and so that's probably what that issue was um, because the drive itself, when you clone the drive, the data from end to end is going to be exactly the same. And so that makes sense that it wasn't really a problem with this cloning, which I think is what I said last time. Right. Uh, because it would be an exact copy of it. But secure boot is one of those possible options, and uh, I don't remember if I mentioned it last time or not. But it has come up from time to time, especially using um, you know, external disks and things to boot with.
0: Yeah, I've, I've actually had the same problem with a lot of uh, Windows 8, la- especially laptops. Well, even desktops, I guess, from that standpoint. Have, uh, have you had
1: problems with them, uh, even after you've turned off and you've tried every single setting, trying to get them to actually boot on a thumb drive or an external device? Yes. And have you ever found a way around the problem, or are you just sometimes stuck and just don't have an option?
0: I, there's sometimes I'm just stuck and just don't have an option. I just, okay. you know, sometimes it's so I've, I'll i use another tool, I guess. I, I, I won't use a, a preboot environment, um, you know, or Linux distro or anything like that. So um, now I will tell you, though, I when
1: you say move, use another disk. You mean pop out the hard drive and put another one in?
0: No. I mean, as or- far as getting as far as getting into it to get, uh, you know, to get data off or, or, or whatever it is I'm doing or trying to fix the problem. Right. Um,
1: so you've had problems specifically with certain tools like the pre-boot environment, a PE disk, or something like that, and you've switched to other tools and it's worked.
0: N- well, okay. There's only one that I've been able to get to work consistently with a in a Windows 8 machine, and that's a Windows 8.1 uh, PE. Oh, okay, right. Okay. Now that so for, trying
1: trying to stay with the same distribution or trying to say uh, because I guess that is another problem that some of the newer laptops too are also bound to certain types of drivers and certain right. I mean, it, it, and that's becoming an, another huge problem and going backwards is almost an impossibility at this point
0: so it's it's hard because there's a lot of tools that we you know we've loved over the years and it's like you know even even something modern if I have something that's you know attacked the computer and is uh, you know it's got to pop up when you first log into the computer and I go to use something like a Hitman pro which has a a pre-boot well it's 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 a half and half it's a hybrid pre-boot but it's still got to get into the system. Um, I've had problems when I've you know when I've had a partition problem where I've been I've not been able to get some tools to actually pre you know go into that environment. But it, so I just try a lot of different things, and it's not a hundred percent. I usually get something to work, yeah. But it's it takes me a lot longer to get to that yeah. point.
1: So I've had a few. Um, so like some of the new Zeus um, laptops and things that I would have in a forensics case. Zeus has made a couple of unique um, SSD. Um, you know cards that physically are inside the laptop that do not have there is not an existing connector out there for yes that you you know i'm talking about yeah, absolutely one, and they use it across like three or four different laptops yep. and they're only for those laptops and they will not work in anything else including you know and i have i probably have 30 different types of you know the card readers for different types of slots for all of those pcie cards and things like that and they don't work on any of those kinds. And so you are left with only the option of booting the laptop. And now in forensics, that's kind of bad. We don't want to do that. But now we're left with no alternative. Our only alternative is to figure out a PE environment or something that we can boot on that we can try to securely read this. And a lot of times the other problem I've had is that when the PE environment fails, that you can't stop the laptop from booting. Like at that point in time, it's pretty instantaneous. It's pretty quick. It's so
0: fast. You're right. Yeah
1: and and it's impossible and so you've already booted it so you're already kind of screwed either way and for forensics that's really bad there's not a lot of ways to stop it there's not a lot of ways i mean even going into the bias and then trying to change secure boot and all the other things even trying to change the device so it's not the boot device it'll rotate through them anyway and it'll do it it just ignores whatever you're putting in
0: <laughs> yep have you had that you know oh, what I'm talking yeah. about oh yeah or you
1: disable it and then all of a sudden it's back again it, it does yeah it
0: doesn't matter it's 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 weird and that's what so it's becoming more and more frustrating uh, I I hope they kind of work this out because I'm so used to the old style biosystem. system. They
1: think I don't think it's a I don't think they think it's a problem. I think <laughs> if you know they're making a laptop and they're making it with Windows and that's all they're making it with. I don't think they're even trying it or testing it with some other stuff. They're just saying screw this. This is the way it is and this is what we're selling. The laptop is and now it's a Windows 8 laptop and you don't like it. It's too bad. And I don't think there's a lot of people saying. Even understanding that it's a huge problem, I think what's happening is if people know that there's a problem and they want to do certain things like we do in forensics, then we'll buy a specific thing. Right. But our problem is we have to use your equipment in a lot of cases to get an image of your stuff, and um, I'm being kind of – I've been crucified a couple of times on some cases where I had no other option but to boot the laptop. And then make an image while it's live, and if you do that, there's a lot of things that are changed, or some things that's left behind in the Windows system. Um, you know, then you also don't have the ability to deal. You know, if you don't know the password, you're kind of somewhat screwed as well. Right. And so, so it, it's become a real problem for me as well more recently than ever before because it almost seems like UEFI or slash Secure Boot is broken. Yes. And and that these functions are specifically to tie you to this Windows machine. And Microsoft doesn't want you using anything else. And it's almost like, and I know they didn't do the hardware, but there is some design on that side that's kind of embedded with Microsoft systems. And that's the other problem is that, you know, they're tying you more and more to the system and you can't get away from it.
0: Well, and it's one of those, and part of the reason I think that is, is because now you've got this where you can basically, on a Windows 8 machine, you can refresh the system, right? Yes. Now what that does is it, it wipes out all your regular desktop apps. And the only thing it doesn't touch is your modern apps. And then it saves all your, you know, file information and your documents, pictures, all that kind of stuff. It doesn't touch any of that stuff. Uh, more often than not, when my customers have actually gone through and done a refresh, it's so screwed up that I basically have to go through a lot of times and just do a reinstall because it's that messed up from a refresh.
1: Now, now let me tell you why that happens, though, because this okay. is a different reason. So, so. <laughs> So you know, in uh, in Windows, when you go into your user folder, there's basically, um, you know, three locations. There's a roaming profile. There's your uh, local and low. So there's three different locations for content to sit in those directories as right. well that ties back to applications and ties to some other stuff. And so when you say it doesn't get rid of your modern application, some of that is because depending upon which of those categories it's entered into. And here's the other – those three folders, while they have a description of what's supposed to actually happen where you know the roaming profiles are going to be the light stuff, the stuff that you can – that would be the more modern applications where there's only like a config file or something, that's where that stuff is supposed to sit. And that would be more likely to roam with you if you are on a network and you logged in from one domain across a couple of machines. And so that's where that small stuff is supposed to be. Then you have your local, which would be your heavier stuff, the stuff that's uh, not supposed to move, that's going to take too much time for it to copy the profile around. And then there's the low stuff that is supposed to be the, you know, less of a security risk. And those are the items that's supposed to be there. Well, the problem is, the application developer gets to decide where it is. So they could choose something that's completely wrong. They don't, necessarily are choosing the right thing and so they can choose what type of application where this stuff is going to sit and i have a feeling that a lot of them are just like i don't really understand what this structure is supposed to be and how it's supposed to exist so therefore i'm just picking one right And so then i think what that when you do the refresh you have situations like that and maybe not that alone because there's other situations where applications and things are are in different uh, arenas Um, from a protection and and where they exist physically in the file system. But I think what's happened is when you're doing that refresh, some of that content that they don't know is getting wiped out or something's changing and it's getting rid of that content and and messes up the application because then it's missing a piece of something that it needs.
0: Yeah, and that's exactly – so I've had that where it's it's actually – on a refresh, I've seen it break the modern apps because even if you're using a Microsoft account to log in, it Microsoft for whatever reason, whatever piece of information is supposed to be on that computer to say that this is the person that it is so that it will hook up to the modern apps, whether it be a weather app or OneDrive or what those right. things most of the time I've seen they break. Yep. And so they're not even though I go back in, I verify the account, I you know, do all the things, all the steps you're supposed to do, it's still something's in there and is is broken. So Right. Um, It's not as it's not as easy anymore. I mean, we're we're still troubleshooting and figuring problems out, but it's it's becoming a little more complicated with all these, you know, different systems that are supposed to protect the consumer. Yeah. Right.
1: (laughs) Uh, I mean, it's gotten easier to get the system back to a good state like an original state it's just gotten harder to deal with if you want to leave your stuff alone and you don't want to wipe your stuff out right and 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 that's why in data recovery at least for us so we're never re-implementing your system again we're never setting your system back up again we're never trying to get your win you know your mac laptop to boot again what we're doing is we're doing data and we give you the data right so you're doing the setup of a Uh, you you reset back up the machine with an original disk because you don't know where some of this damage is going to exist or where some things are gone. So it is still a reinstall process. It is still this, you know, and we'll make a full copy, and especially if you have like a licensing piece of software where you have to try to figure out how that works, we'll make a full image of the disk so that all the stuff that sits behind and that you can find, um, you know, that's kind of the other thing is that a lot of these pieces of software that protect themselves do things by hiding it in the system somewhere. Yeah, they'll... It, it, and that's another thing that shouldn't be allowed, that shouldn't happen. It should be a lot more like a Mac does where there's a, you know, a plist or a, a directory where all the licensing information sits. And so there is a spot in there where you can actually recreate the, you know, a, Mac, a full-fledged Mac um, disk by sucking over all the content from the, from the serial numbers and all the other stuff and get it up and running again. And again, the only package that really doesn't do that on a Mac is Office. Microsoft Office, again, screws everybody <laughs> by, you know, trying to bind it to hardware and accounts and all this other stuff where all the other stuff in a Mac will just work when you bring it up. But on, on you know, it will not work for Office. And so Office, you have to re-register it back to the machine.
0: Yeah. And, and, and that's the other thing, too, is we're talking about a lot of my customers that I am setting up on Windows 8 machines and on, you know, I'm basically I'm. I'm almost forcing them because I've seen problems with the local accounts. I'm almost forcing them to, we're going to, we're going to design and make a Microsoft account so that the things that are on your, your desktop, laptop, whatever are going to work for you. And so, and you know, a lot of times because of the, you know, there's a way to reset the passwords, you know, through the Microsoft site and all that kind of stuff. Um, It's just, it I've just ran into so many problems, it's just easier to do it that way for me.
1: Well, I, I'm certainly not a huge big fan of what's happening now with the Microsoft accounts where you have an online account and you change your password online and that it gets pushed down to the laptop now. And so your laptop that you did log in with a certain password now is bound to the one account and that now it uses the password that came from the one account that you changed online yesterday. Yep. If that if that makes sense. Yes. So, so people who aren't, and I'm not a big fan of that at all. That 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 brings up a whole lot of things that can, to me, in my mind, create some super instability or loss of data or something that you can't get into when you need to get into it. And and it does bother me quite a bit. But, right. I mean, I, I, it, and maybe I'm just getting old. Maybe that's what it is. Well, is that that as, there's some, as, yeah. As, you know, when I was 17, it's like, oh, this would all be exciting. And look at all this online and all this other stuff you could right. do. But now I'm more scared of the fact that you can make this implementation that can affect me across the board, and I have this potential for loss.
0: You know, and that's you know. So for the regular consumer out there that's not backing up, or even for the tech that's not backing up, I say back up, back up, back up. Um, I mean, really, that's that's really what it comes down to is. In, and we really got to get people to get to the point where, hey, if my whole machine blows up or starts on fire, it's no big deal. I'm okay. Right. But right, you know, consumers until they lose something. Then all right.
1: So even after they lose it, we've had clients, we've had replete clients that we've had up to four or five times before <laughs> that we've actually recovered something, give it back to the person, tell them, okay, now you need to, you know, make sure you're doing a backup. Uh, six months later, they're coming back to us again because they still haven't done a backup. Now they lost the one that we gave them. <sighs> so, so this is a constant problem, and they don't learn. They do not learn. It is an effort to back up, and they just won't do it. And the one that's the worst of all of it, because you know, at least in disasters, most of the time we can recover stuff but cryptolocker like cryptolocker once that hits something that becomes near impossible again for you to recover from if you don't have a backup or have something and,
0: i i uh, had just my first crypto wall 3.0 the other day i it, it actually is my first Crypto virus period and i i just looked at the customer and you know i was like i you know I mean, we try to protect as many things as we can, but sometimes, you know, things are done online. That stuff still gets through. And I said, if you don't have a backup of this stuff, you know, yep. I'm—I I mean, I'm gonna repair it. But if you don't have a backup, there's nothing we can do. So, yep.
1: well, and the thing that crypto lockers stupid about, uh, and in all their versions, is that they have too short a time span for the client to be able to pay. To yes. Get their, like because once they you know, they'll take it to somebody, they might not know for three days, they may not see it for a week. Right. And so, you know, I have people that would be happy to pay them to unlock it, even though that's extortion. Right. Uh and, you know, and that's a terrible thought, but that's the only way that they can get out of it. And most of the time it's cheaper them as long as they made the price continue to be like cheaper than we charge. Right. Then you know, they're in good shape because if they look at me and I'm like, well, it's going to cost you 600 bucks, you know, or 800 bucks, they're going to be like, well, it's only $300 if I just pay them. I'm like, well, you should pay them.
0: Right. Exactly.
1: <laughs> but now yeah. the time runs out and then it's too late. And then I, even I can't do anything for them. So Oh, gosh. Yep.
0: All right. Let's so, go. Let's go into a uh, I think we'll we'll end up with this uh, la- this voicemail that we got. And this is okay. um, from an anonymous caller. But. um yeah good information you said you had a, a, a maybe a fix for this uh person. So yeah. Here we go.
1: Yes, this is for my hard drive died. Uh I have a E-machines E525 and I went to use it one day and all of a sudden I uh when I booted up it says I need a... My hard drive's locked, and I need a password to unlock it. And I've never fooled with it, set a password, or anything. And I'd like to know what I could do about it. Thank you. All right. All right. So here's how. So. And most people don't realize when we're talking about password. Every time I say something about a password, somebody misunderstands what I mean right away. Um, and so, <laughs> so, so when you are booting a system and it comes up to a Windows password, and there's a box and you type that in, all of that's in software. All of that's logically on the drive, and that's something that Windows is storing. There's stuff that's there, or, or that you know, it's tied to possibly an encryption key. But your hard drive itself. All by itself, because if you separate from yourself from the software, think prior to anything booting, there is a system area. And the system area is a little tiny – it stores a little tiny operating system for the disk because so, the disk is basically a computer. The entire hard drive is a computer. It has a processor. It has memory. has everything it needs. has a, uh, It has a little mini operating system, and that little mini operating system is uh, combined with a couple of other things, but there's a table that exists on the platters in the system area that's not part of where your data is it's not part of something you have accessible to you it's part of the it's a we call it firmware but really it's a it's it's a a software table that sits on a hard drive in a writable area and one of those tables is for a hard drive's password there is a pot, potential possibility of putting a password on your hard drive, so that what happens is when your system boots, the very first thing that happens when the system boots is it tries to request the boot sector, the MBR, from the hard drive. That's the first thing that your BIOS or your EFI does is try to request the first sector for the MBR from the disk. And if you have a password set, what happens is it sits in this loop and it goes back and forth just asking for a password. So you'll be sitting at a black screen or though some BIOSes, have like a pretty little red box or something that'll pop up in the middle and say, type your hard drive's password. Um, or it'll say, you know, your hard drive is locked and you need a password now. So here's the problem with what he just described in his, in his content. There's two possible ways for this password to have get set and for it to exist the way he's described. One would be to use a tool or EFI or your BIOS to actually go into it. And just like you could type in the BIOS, cause there's also another password for the computer itself. There's a actual one in the BIOS or EFI that says, I want to lock the firmware so nobody can get into the configuration and change it. Cause you can lock the configuration as well. So, but that one's stored on the motherboard or stored on the laptop somewhere. And that one's not stored physically on the hard drive. So there are a couple of different ones, but the one that's for the hard drive You can actually go in and a lot of biases or some biases will allow you to set it, especially if it's a Dell or a ThinkPad or something along those lines, you can set a hard drive's password. And again, it's a password you must know. There is a way to unlock that password, and I'll talk about that in a second. Uh, if you don't know the password or something happens to it, there are some ways to reset that password. But it is a firmware function because that password sits in the system area. And it's really stored in clear text. So in a lot of cases, you can read it or you can see it if you have the correct tool to do that. Um, the, the best one is this high-end, expensive tool that's called a PC3000.
0: Okay. The
1: PC... The BC3000 will allow you to get access to uh, the password and reset it. And in data recovery, we use that all the time. But there is also another cheap potential way of resetting that password if one got set. Um, Now, one doesn't just automatically get set. That's the other problem. From his description of what it said, um, there is a tool that's called Secure Erase. Now, the tool… Um, is not – it doesn't really securely erase your hard drive itself. What the tool does is sends a command to the hard drive to erase itself. And so there is a command built into the hard drive called secure erased or enhanced secure erase that when you send this command to the hard drive, the very first thing that the the item, the tool does is lock the drive with a password. So it is physically locked with a password, and then it turns around and wipes the hard drive, and then at the end, if power – has not gone out or something like that, it will then clear the password. So in this particular instance, there is a chance that somebody or some tool tried to securely erase his hard drive and set this password. And so it is potentially possible that once he clears the password that he might not have any data. Um, But uh, assuming that that didn't happen – the one of the other tools that I know of that's the best possible tool to use to clear this password as cheap as possible, is um, it's called HDD Unlock. So it's HDDUnlock.com, and if you go there, you will you can immediately go to a tab called Purchase, and in this tab it will tell you if you have whatever size hard drive you have how much it's going to cost. Now, they make it look like you're buying a card or a credit card or something. You're really not. You're just buying like a one-use EXE or, or a one-use thing. So you're going to have to make a bootable disk and then you're going to have to, you know, or make a laptop that you can then connect this drive to and then clear this clear this password. So you need to be connected to the controller or something that can actually reset this password. And so... and. That's, that's going to be your hardest part. It's going to be like if you don't have another computer, you may be kind of screwed because you've got to execute this program in order to clear the password so you actually have a process you're going to have to go through. But the most expensive one is unlock a hard drive that's greater than 1.5 terabytes or bigger, and it's $39. So instead of buying this super expensive $7,000 tool that we use, um, there are some cheaper tools. Uh, there is a way to do it with a DeepSpar or an Atola, or there's some other tools out there like a… Uh, A shinobi there are different tools that can clear this password but your hard drive actually has a password that is physically inside the system area and is locked and so in this process of of trying to uh, unlock this particular password it is potentially possible though that one of the things that happened or occurred is that somebody tried to run a secure erase command and sent that to the hard drive and it locked the password or maybe a virus i I haven't seen a virus yet that locks the hard drive um there's possible that there is one. And then the only exception that I have to tell you about not this not working is one thing is that it does not work on um, Hitachi drives. So IBM oh, wow. slash Hitachis it does not work. You cannot unlock them with this tool. And the reason that you can't, you can only use like a PC 3000 with this tool. The reason you can't unlock them is that they have a fuse on their board basically that you have to short. So you're really shorting two pins on the board to cause a failure so that you can get access to the firmware in order to make <laughs> a change to it. So that can't be done in software. That's gonna be a hardware thing. So if it is a Hitachi or, or an IBM drive, you're gonna have to send it to somebody to unlock it if you want the data off of it. If, uh, if not, then the software should work, but you may have to go through a particular process to set this up so that you can actually um, cause, cause you can't talk to a hard drive strictly over USB. So it's going to have to be like a motherboard with a connector on it. And you're going to have to plug the hard drive into that connector and then talk to it uh, over that
0: connector. So it's it, in general, it's really, it's not going to be a super easy fix then.
1: Um, it, it, with this piece of software it would be a super easy fix okay. as long as you've got like an actual desktop. So if you've got a desktop you can pull the hard drive out of your laptop, plug it into the desktop, pay thirty nine bucks, unlock this unlock the drive as long as it's not an IBM slash Hitachi drive.
0: Okay. Now the other thing when I because after I'd heard the voicemail, I kind of was curious and I had went and looked at a couple things and uh I my understanding is and I don't know if this has anything to do with the same thing or if you've if you've heard of this, but uh, you know it says the drive where windows is installed is locked and that's coming up um that's where I was getting kind of confused because this almost seems like it could be a uh, you know the uh, BCD table could have been messed up and they said by uh, a lot of people were starting to get this because of uh, certain windows updates
1: well, well it is potentially possible but that isn't what he said okay right so so he said he just said your drive is locked he did not say uh, you know and it has a password.
0: And so and that's what he said. He, said, right. Cause, cause okay. he said. It's asking for a password. Then right, because he
1: said it's asking for a gotcha. password. He did not say because the Windows command is uh, the drive where Windows is installed and lock, is locked. Unlock the drive and try again. It does not say um, it does not say enter a password.
0: Gotcha. Right. Okay.
1: So so it it you know and maybe it is the other one, but he just he didn't say that.
0: Right. Yeah, I just want to clarify because I was a little confused on the whole thing. I'm like, yep, yeah, because I would have said the same thing is that if it came up and it actually wanted a password, I'm like, well, that's like a, a BIOS lock or a, you know, in this case, it would be a hard drive lock, right? I didn't really, to be honest with you, I didn't realize that there was actually that, that that was available on hard drives.
1: Oh, yeah, it's been available for two decades. Okay. Uh, so, so,
0: <laughs> shows how much I know.
1: Well, you know, it's originally the first idea of what was going to be security. I mean, you can secure your computer's hard drive so that nothing can get to the data. So if you have a password on the drive, you cannot copy that hard drive. And up until, you know, maybe six years ago, for 15 years, unless you had a PC 3000, you were pretty much locked out of it. Now there's other tools now that will allow you to get past it, but um, for a long time… Mm, there really wasn't much options that you had you could do some tricks with some you know what's called a hot swap you could take another drive that was exactly the same you could start it up get it initialized take the board off while it's live put it on the other drive and you could bypass it there there were things there were some tricks that we could do to get around it but for the most part uh, that was a firmware problem that you needed to be able to get that password or extract that password and it was one of the reasons that i know a lot of government agencies bought uh, you know this expensive pc 3000 was to get the password and get by ah um, okay because because there's something uh, you know if you know the password that somebody typed in for their hard drive and it was usually a short password because you couldn't there wasn't a lot of space to store it on the okay. drive so it would normally be like an eight character password or something and so you know it, you, you could have typed green or green sleeves or whatever. Um, and so let's say that that was your password. Well, in forensics, um, people who use a password for something like that will probably use the password again. So they'll probably use it on something else. They'll use it on a spreadsheet or they'll use it on something else. So what would happen is you would want to know what the password is rather than just clear it. Like the tool I told you about earlier, HD Unlocker, it will just clear the password, but it won't tell you what the password is. Gotcha. So if you're doing forensics, you might want to add the password to what's called the golden keyword list. And a golden keyword list in forensics is, well, yeah, I knew I knew some things about the person. I knew their date of birth, I knew their kids' names, and these are passwords or potential passwords combined with other stuff that if we're gonna try to crack a password, this might be something we want to use. And so if they use the password to boot, they probably use the password somewhere else on the computer. And you'd want to add that to your golden keyword list. So if this is for forensics purposes and you need to get into the drive, then you definitely need to either call me or buy a PC 3000 or get some <laughs> other tool that will get the, I mean, you can still call me. I'll tell you what to do. But um, I mean, I help people all the time. I, I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to get paid every day, but, uh, you know, I try to where I can, sure, I'd be happy sure. to help and tell people what it is that will solve their problem if I can. So I'm happy to, I'm happy to just to talk to people if that's the case. So feel free to send me an email or ask me something. Plus I have all the tools that can actually do this.
0: Okay. So, Perfect. All right. Well, wow. We've covered, I've got one more. We're going to end off with one more question and it's a personal question for me. And, and that is, um, I, so I'm still trying to figure this out. So I use USB flash drives for, you know, for tools all the time. I, I, I've got, you know, ones that lock, no problem. And even the ones that lock, I will put them into different computers and I will get this. It always comes up with a scan and fix and why in the world is that happening on these usb flash drives
1: okay so uh, if you go back and you try to do it on like windows xp you'll find out that it probably doesn't happen on windows xp that it only happens on windows 7 and later yes and it has to do with the fact that once it saw this ntfs table or a fat table on the drive it's actually trying to write something to see so it's actually kind of a read write scenario to make sure that the drive is enabled for it to be able to talk to it because in the windows scenario in this theory was that every drive that we see should be writable if it has these tables, and so it's trying to update it. It's trying to do journal entries, trying to do the things that say basically, I am, I am, you know, mounting this drive or I am doing something to this drive. And it has become a problem in forensics as well because it used to be in Windows XP we could just mount anything, and if it was, even if we used a write blocker as an example, it would be fine, and it would mount it and we'd be able to see stuff on it but on Windows 7 and later we have this problem where sometimes when we use a write blocker if there's a table that it wants to update Windows will actually then barf on it and it'll actually say well I'm not gonna mount this because it's set to read read only or you know there's some problem and I can't so that's actually what's happening now is that it wants to write or update a table or do something that's going to say either I mounted you or I want to make a change to a table um, the other thing that I've seen a lot is that some tools that create thumb drives and create a uh, um, a forensics image, as an example, they right. don't have a full implementation of the tables. Okay. So they have just enough of the implementation of the tables to get it to work, so store some data, do something. So it's a common thing with a tool. Like, for instance, we have a imager that's called a Falcon, and they didn't, they don't create all the tables that make NTFS completely work. So they create just enough that shows storage and shows that it's there. So Windows, when we plug it in, wants to update a table that isn't there or doesn't have all the data in it. And if it's write-blocked when that happens, it won't work at all. And so that's typically what's happening is it's trying trying to update or touch a table and say I can read or write to this table and that this drive is available to me to do these updates. Otherwise, I just barf on it and say there's a problem.
0: You know, what's funny though, is even with the, so yeah, and I, I'm understanding better now that, so with my hardware switch where I'm actually shutting it off, so you can't write to it, that could be actually causing a problem. Now it always mounts. Like I can, I can bypass the message, but whenever I'm doing a, you know, sometimes (coughs) if I leave it in a machine and I'm doing a check on the hard drives on the system, that particular USB drive will always come up as a dirty volume. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, so, you know, it, it works. But I'm just like going, why? And so, you know, I'll go back and I'll format the drive and I'll put my tools back on there. So, I mean, it, it, it's not really anything. It's not a big deal anyways. Well, I,
1: I mean, I will tell you, so the thing that, so dirty drive, all that means to the system itself is, so um, let's take NTFS as an example. So NTFS, inside of NTFS, there's about uh, 16, 18 tables or something like that. uh, uh because NTFS is a format, and those are kind of like little mini databases. They all start with a dollar sign. So you have dollar MFT, dollar bitmap, things like that. And those are raw data that's sitting on the disk. Well, one of those tables is called dollar volume. And the volume information that comes from it, like the when you format it and you put a serial number and things like that, that particular table is the one that stores one bit that says, "Am I did I boot and shut down correctly? And so when you boot, it flips the bit and says, okay, now I'm – you know, I'm booted, if a, if you shut down correctly, it'll flip the bit back. So it's uh. just one bit in the volume table that it is flipping to say, I shut down correctly and now it flipped a bit back or I booted correctly and now the bit is flipped. So that way if the system crashes, it will look for transactions because that's what scan job is to do is to say, well, okay, so it crashed last time. So while it crashed, there might have been a file you were updating. And while it was updating... The item crashed, so therefore the last file that you were updating is reversed out. And the way it knows the last file that you updated was um, in every single f- every single file or folder inside of NTFS has contains two sectors. It's two sectors in the table for the N- MFT, and the, the match file table has two sectors for every file okay. or folder. And in between those two sectors there is a fix-up byte, and that's what is basically what happens is there's a sequence number that's updated at the top when it starts to write, and when it's finished writing, it takes that sequence number and then puts it at the bottom of the first 512 bytes. And so at the very end, it says, okay, that number that you updated is now a number that I'm also stamping here, so I have two numbers. So when ScanDisk checks it, what happens is it says, well, If it finished writing, it updated that number. If it did not finish writing, then those numbers won't match. So therefore, that's a file that is temporary and has not finished. So therefore, we're backing that file out, and it just destroys the record and removes it from the file system. Right. So, I know that was a long answer for how that happens, but there's, you know, it's a very simple way. And because all of this was designed back in the early 80s, it was designed between 83 and 84 uh, for the first implementations of OS2. And so, in that particular process for how that was designed, uh, that was a simple bit compare, byte compare to see. If a file finished the transaction it was doing, and so they have like three or four levels of it. Now, the unusual thing is since Windows 7 and 8, it does this automatically on the fly while the system's running. So it used to be you have to reboot, and then it would kick off, and it would do these things. But now it only does it when you're trying to mount the drive, if it's an external or something else. The rest of the time it's actually running live on your system and doing automatic healing of these files when the transactions don't complete.
0: So I I guess with all that being said, as long as even though this message is coming up on this USB drive, which works perfectly fine, I just bypass the message and it mounts and I get my tools and and do whatever. There's there's nothing physically wrong with that USB flash drive then.
1: Right. It's probably, you know, the flag gets set. And then at some point in time, the USB drive gets unplugged from a system or shut. You know, it's not properly removed. Cause right. The properly I do removed, that all the time. It's <laughs> the <bit. laughs> right. So you're just ripping that out. All that's happening is you have one bit to set that did not get set back. And so there's nothing wrong with it. Uh, I mean, it's potentially possible the last transaction didn't complete. But outside okay. of that. I mean because that's the other problem you have with flash drives and solid-state drives and things is that they have memory on them and that they're caching content. And so if you don't clear it correctly when you're unplugging it, uh, you may have cached that's sitting in memory even on your computer that did not get flushed to the to the disk. So it could be something that looked like a completed write, but it didn't actually finish writing. And so that's your only downside from that standpoint. But it really is just one bit that says, "Oh, well, this was cleared or this wasn't cleared."
0: Gotcha. And there, there's no way to, uh, you know, go back in there and just fix that one bit, is there?
1: Yeah, you could use a hex editor and you can do it.
0: <laughs> okay, I'll just keep using the drive.
1: Yeah, you can just uh, you can just look it up. Well, learn a hex editor; it's really easy. Uh, but you have to go look up. Because it wasn't well documented, but there is uh, you'd have to look up the dollar volume table for the dirty bit, and you'd have to find out where it is, and it'd be, you could probably do it pretty easily by comparing two items. Like I, I, you know, I don't normally hex edit the dirty bit to to do that because I can just clear it. But that's really all you're doing. Okay, is setting the dirty bit or not? You can use a hex edit. Learn.
0: Yeah, uh, you know what? <laughs> uh, you know what? You're right. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna definitely try that, and uh, yeah, learn something new so that yep. I, I've got something right. more.
1: Because using a hex editor is is infinitely usable for every single thing that you're doing going forward. I mean, it's, it gives you the power to look at stuff no one else can see.
0: Gotcha. Okay, I'm definitely going to start learning. All right.
1: I, I suggest you use either WinHex, because WinHex knows file systems and knows how to break them down. Uh, and so WinHex is an extremely useful an awesome tool. Um, it's a little bit pricey. But in, and when we go to forensics, we use X-Ways Forensics, and that one is just the most awesome tool ever in forensics. I don't even know why people use incase and FTK when X-Ways exists. They should just they should take a look at X-Ways and should just skip that. <laughs> but from a hex editor slash uh, forensics tool or from an editor, it's just the most awesome tool. And then my second choice would be there's a tool that's called 010 Editor, and it's cheaper... Especially for a home user, but it's called 010 Editor by SweetScape, and it has most of the same potential, but not quite the power. So if you really, if you get it and you like it, and you want more power, then take a look at um, WinHex from that standpoint and do WinHex Specialist or do X Ways Forensics. But uh, but those are my two primary choices, both for Mac and for Win. Well, I do all my work mostly in hex editors on Windows. Even if it is a Mac, I'll just plug the drive in. But if you want to run one on a Mac, then 010 Editor will solve that problem because Winhex isn't available on a Mac.
0: Okay. Good to know. Very cool. Okay. Well, I appreciate all the information that uh, you've given us today. And, uh, I, yeah, I just appreciate you coming out and sharing again. I, I definitely enjoy talking to you. Uh, what, what types of classes and stuff do you have coming up here in the f- near future?
1: So, uh, so in August, I have a class in Washington D.C. And so it's uh, it's half full now. So if anybody wants to, they really need to contact me soon. Uh, and I'd love to have people in the class. And and you know, at least from that standpoint, if you can get to the D.C. area, because uh, I've started teaching a little bit less here and there because I have a lot more cases going on. So I'm probably only going to do you know two three classes a year now at this point. So if you want to get in on it, you really need to get on it fast. Um, but I do have. One in in D.C. and then one in Atlanta. And then I'm supposed to go to Australia in December. So uh, August for D.C., September for Atlanta, and then December in um, Australia. And then from there, I'll just be starting to cut back and start doing my distance learning kit and selling uh, selling them from that standpoint. So this will be really the time to get in on it. If you really want to meet me, learn it and do it in person, because there's a lot of physical repair because I do a lot more than just the software. We're talking about head assemblies, bladder assemblies, all the other stuff. So go to myharddrivedied.com, send me an email, um, and I'll get you into the class and and we'll at least have a great time. I usually only accept 10 students per class. So since I got five already, you know, make sure you get in.
0: <clears throat> yeah. yeah that yeah that's a nice learning scenario there yeah definitely uh definitely take them up on that and you know this is something you definitely want to learn uh you know washington dc's on on the east coast anyway is not that far for most of us so
1: right no it's a good hub a good center place and uh you're really gonna be held captive in the hotel while i'm there because i keep you for like 12 hours a day and <laughs> and i go through every single thing so just like we're doing in this podcast like i'm jamming stuff in but trying to make sure that you learn it and you're getting hands on and you're physically, I mean, I have a whole lab built out and we do, you know, both the software, the hardware, I go through all of these items. And so it doesn't matter if you don't want to know the hardware stuff, you're going to learn a huge amount in the software and how things work and why they work. And, uh, you know, again, like I said, I'm kind of, you know, I've been doing this now for since 2007, I've been teaching, you know, I've done 70 or 80 classes now. And You know, I'm starting to kind of slow down and wear down a little bit and then trying to start to do more and more forensics cases, uh, more activity there. So, like I said, if people really want to know it or do whatever, now would be the time because uh, I'm going to slow down next year.
0: Okay. Great to know. All right. If you guys have any questions for the show, you can email us at uh, mhdd at podnuts.com. And if you want to leave a voicemail, you can call one 697 162 And if you guys could, leave us a rating and review over on iTunes. That'll let more people know about the show and the awesome work that uh, Scott does. You guys can also help support the PodNest Network. The next time you're shopping on Amazon, go to podnest.com slash Amazon. And I want to thank everyone for listening and subscribing to the show. We'll see you next time on My Hard Drive Died.
1: Music provided by Steve Cherubino at stevecherubino.com.